Hey everybody, I hope all is well. I hope you enjoy this podcast or this episode with Mr. Wade Skeen. Uh, we have a lot of interesting information in there. We really didn't get to get all of it in like we wanted to. We had a good time. We're probably going to have a part two. But I uh, hope you enjoy this listen and uh, give it up for my friend, Mr. Wade Skeen. Yo. How's it going, man? Good, dude. What are you up to? Man, not a whole lot. Just uh, finished up eating, and uh, uh, we grilled some, some chicken, some chicken breast, some chicken legs. and Nice. Put some asparagus on the grill. Oh, I love that with some olive oil and a little lemon pepper. Yeah, well, I did do the olive oil. I didn't do the lemon pepper. Well, I did uh, garlic powder, salt, and pepper. Oh, yeah, uh, that's just as good. Yeah, it was fantastic fantastic how's it going man good i had a um so mike searle guy that i train dogs with all the time uh we went out yesterday evening and trained and he brought out some um burn-ins that he had smoked he brought me a big pan out of them so yeah threw those threw those in the oven on broil and made a little pasta salad with it a minute ago and had some leftover barbecue lunch was pretty tasty yeah that sounds fantastic Sounds fantastic. So what's uh, the what's the name of the podcast that you've been doing? Storytime with Starkey is the name. Okay. Yeah, that's the name of it. And uh, which I'm just now on uh, iTunes and everything else. Yeah. Um, or Apple Podcasts or whatever it is. But um, mm. but yeah, it's a uh, it's something small. I think I've got uh, maybe six episodes. Yeah. Somewhere along those lines, and. Uh, you know, just just a handful of listeners. It's nothing like HP Outdoors. Yeah, but uh, but it's a fun little hobby. You're my second guest I've ever had. Nice, so, nice. You know, um, my first one was uh, a buddy of mine from high school that I um, uh, he was like my best friend. Uh, we were inseparable in high school, mm-hmm. um, and he's actually just took a um, he took a position as the the director over the respiratory. Uh, therapy section of his hospital yeah and uh, uh so we were kind of talking about you know the, the possible effects of you know COVID-19 COVID, yep. and, and everything like that so gotcha. um or just from a perspective of somebody in that field but uh you know yeah that's, it, I mean, that's super interesting um and god knows it's applicable to all of us these days yeah where, yeah. where something you know a lot of us would have never even thought about or cared about six months Absolutely. ago oh. right right so have you uh <clears throat> so what have you been what have your topics been centered around so far just a little bit of everything not there hasn't been any of them that have been the same gotcha. they um and that's one reason why i wanted to call it story time that way mm-hmm. i wasn't locked into one genre because mm-hmm. i've got several buddies that do train dogs i've got uh, a lot of most of my friends hunt, but not yeah. all of them do. Um, you know, if I so if I wanted to talk about church on one podcast, and right. I do, if I want to talk about hunting or, or memories or whatever, yep. drag racing, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm I'm not I'm not prisoned to one genre, and um, and then that way we can uh, I can have free reign to talk about whatever I want to. Well, that's um, the perfect way because uh, you cast the net wider that way, you know. Like, absolutely. I'm a absolutely. I'm a I'm a podcast holic. Like that's that's all I listen to. Because <laughs> <So>, <laughs> I used too. to, 
I mean, I, I I love music. Don't get me wrong, but you know, right. I, I find myself riding down the road and I got music playing, and every other song instead of instead of looking over here for for ducks or turkeys when I'm riding down the road, I'm having to hit next because I don't like that song or something like that. But I can put right. a pod I can put a podcast on and I can listen to the same thing for an hour or two or or even longer sometimes, and and you know, not ever have to hit next, not ever have to. You know, I don't know. I like it, and then you get so much more from it too. Like, you, right? Music's cool, but sure. When I'm listening to a podcast by Jocko or yeah, you know, somebody like that, and he's he's talking to a guy that was, you know, uh, a POW in Vietnam, and he's telling you about how you know what he used to survive those those days, or you know, any of that kind of stuff. Or he's got the mm-hmm. Uber uber successful you know military guys or business guys or whatever it is and they're talking about you know the the things that make them successful and stuff like you get so much more out of that than you would you know listening to cardi b absolutely i 100 percent agree and I, i do like music i'm a musician yeah um i i play the drums but um you know, I'm the same way. I was introduced to, to podcast about 2014, yeah, maybe 2013. And every, well, especially weekdays, every weekday since then, that's what I've listened to. Yeah. Um, yeah, from, from when I'm at work, I put my earbuds in and I just go. Yep. But now I'm a sales rep and I just let it go through, play through my car. Right. But, you know, for eight hours a day, besides when I'm talking to somebody or whatever, but for eight hours a day, whether it's Joe Rogan, yep. whether it is Jocko, um, Tim Ferriss, mm-hmm. uh, HP, of course, um, uh, Meat Eater, any, anything like that. So I, um, I, let's I, see, I think so. HP was probably, I would say HP was the first podcast that I listened to on a regular basis. Like they, that was where I started listening to podcasts. Oh, and, yeah. th- and that was in. 2014 2015 time frame maybe maybe even 2016 jesus five six years ago now so uh that was that was where i started listening to podcasts and and love it and still do and those guys i consider both of those guys friends at this point and uh and kind of kind of that was what got me started listening to podcasts to begin with and then you know i'm trying to think where i'm trying to think how i even started listening to jocko uh, I think, it, it, funny enough, Morgan Kupfer from mm-hmm. from the HP group. I think he was talking about the the book Extreme Ownership. I think, and then yeah. I, so I downloaded that. I listened to that, uh, and then I was like, "Oh, okay, we've got a podcast." And I started listening to the podcast, and I think that's where that came from. And still, like, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. So uh, HP, uh, I do listen to Big Honk or some. Um, um, Jocko, and then there's a new one that I found, and I, I only found it because he was on Jocko, uh, and I can't. It's McNamara's his last name, and it's called the University of Badassery. <laughs> so, it, so it's, yeah, so he's he's like an ex Army Special Forces guy, uh, and then the co-host or the other host is a I, I think he grew up Pentecostal, which if you're from the South, you can kind of. 
you know, relate to that oh, yeah. to some degree, mm-hmm. almost always. But he grew up that way, and then uh, he became a preacher. He he went to seminary oh, wow. and became a preacher. And they started this show based on like heavy metal music and their love for it, and stuff like that. And I don't think the guy's a preacher anymore, but you know, he still got his his Judeo Christian foundation. Sure. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a really good one. But they don't. I think they only have like 10 episodes or something like that. They don't record on a super regular basis, but it's super, super good, man. I mean, like they had a doctor on one episode talking about taking care of yourself and and different ways of kind of how the medical industry has gone down the wrong path. And then several other, um, I'm not going to use the word Delta force because I don't think they will, but, but army special ops, uh, several, other, yeah. several other guys that, that he worked with during that time, stuff like that. It's just, man, it's good, good stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, I like stuff like that. Yeah. And then, um, and I'm not a heavy metal dude. <laughs> I'm not a heavy metal dude at all. Like I, like I, I, I don't hate it. My, my older brother growing wow. up was a, was a big time metal head. So I, I can relate. Like I know, when they're talking about Pantera or Slayer or somebody like that, like they, they talk, they intertwine that in the show all the time. Um, right. and, and that's not my jam, but I, I can understand, keep up with it. Uh, but yeah, just the, the man, the life lessons that they're talking about and everything are just out of this world. Yeah. And then, that's pretty good. And then the other thing, like if I, if, so now my thing too, is if I, if I have bigger blocks of time, I books on audible. That's my, that's my other right. thing. Like if I'm cutting the grass or if I'm, you know, I know I'm going to be in the truck for two or three hours at a time type thing. Then I'll, I'll listen. Yeah. Or if I'm doing housework, that's the other big thing, man. I can, I can put a book on, on audible and look up my four chapters through and the dishes are done and the floors are swept and mopped and, you know, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, it helps. It definitely helps pass the time. Mm-hmm. I tell you, a new one that I found. Well, cleared hot with Andy Stumpf. He is an ex Navy SEAL, and he's been on Jocko's before. And he's got the name of his is Cleared Hot, and it up. is it's really good. Um, but one that I found, um, it's a uh, called Duck Dog Talk, mm-hmm. and it's from the guy Matt Neal. Oh I yeah, I know, I know Matt. From, he uh, East Carolina Retrievers. Yeah, yeah. So if it's like East Carolina Retrievers, he's got a podcast. I think he's only got about four or five episodes yep. out. But he relates. Have you listened no, to his podcast? No, like it's They're very so, good. just being completely truthful. Like I never have enough time to listen to everything I want to. <laughs> uh, now, true. when hunting season comes back in, I'm spending you know hours a day every afternoon looking for birds. That changes. But uh, no, I need to get on there and listen to Matt's show because I. So Matt came out here to Kansas and hunted earlier this year, and I was really trying to meet up with him and uh, and get him get him out hunting with us, and just wasn't able to do it, unfortunately. But no, Matt's Matt's a good dude, man, and he's from what I can see through social media and just talking to him stuff like that. Man, he's he has got it going on with his dog training stuff. I yeah. I, I, yeah. I I pay close attention to what he does and how he's done it, and kind of that kind of stuff like the the tech ponds that he's built and the kennels that he's built mm-hmm. i'm sitting there looking at it going man if i can 
if I can, you know, go down the same path that he's on, I'll be in a, in a good spot in, you know, five years or whatever. Right. Absolutely. He, uh, he, he's got it down to a science. He's, he's a rock star, especially on the, the East coast yeah. right now. Um, and his podcast is really good and he relates, um, dog training to every oh, life, nice. so, you know, real life situations. So it's not just talking about, you know, teaching their dog right. to heal or, or run marks or, or whatever mm-hmm. else he teaches or he talks about it. And, and sometimes he'll incorporate like a scripture or something nice. like that, but he talks about how to apply it to everyday life. And it's really yeah. good. I've I'm enjoyed have, it. I'm gonna have I've to, enjoyed it. And I don't know him. I've never talked with him, but I've really enjoyed listening to us. I'm going to have guess. to put that, put that in then. Cause I, so funny enough, that's, I, I do the same thing, not externally, not to anybody else, but when I'm, when I'm training dogs or when I'm trying to teach a dog something, you know, I think, I think about it, um, you know, how would I teach this to my, my seven-year-old son, um, or vice versa. There's, there's times too, where I'm dealing with my seven-year-old son and I'm going, okay, how would I, how would I teach a dog to do the same thing given, you know, like if you could, if you could, put their maturity levels on a timeline side by side, you know, obviously dog and kids, not the same thing, but, you know, building right. a foundation, teaching anything, anybody, any, you know, being there's, there's similarities there. And, and I, I do that all the time. So that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of uh, dog training books that I've read. And, um, and while I was reading them, I was sitting there thinking, I could use this with mm-hmm. my kids because basically in dog training, you just have to make them understand what it is that you're trying to teach yep. them to do, you know, and that's the whole foundation. Like how can you, how can you make it resonate with them? Like when I say this, this is what yep. I need. And then, so, you know, sometimes it takes steps to yep. get there. Um, but, and, but that's the same way with yep. parenting. You know, my oldest is 10 years old. I have, I've got four kids. Ooh, one the way, so I've got a, <laughs> maybe, maybe got yeah, a maybe, full. maybe some other time when we're not recording, we need to have a conversation about how this happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thinking about getting silent television, we haven't had that, <laughs> That's pretty funny. but, uh, uh, but no, we, uh, so my oldest is 10, um, it's 10, seven, four, um, one and a half. And then I've got another one at the end of this month. Golly and, boy. Uh, three boys, one girl, and then one girl on the way. So, but I've been able to use some of those things. Like uh, some of those things that I've learned with, and I'm not a dog trainer by any stretch of the imagination. I just have a smart dog that makes me look uh, at least hey, a, 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 a little that's better. That's worth every you know, penny you pay for because, them right there. <laughs> yeah because i've had i've tried training some dogs before that uh, i couldn't get them to fetch a biscuit you know so i'm not a dog trainer <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination um uh, i do i do have a black lab and, and she's she is she's pretty incredible um and i love her to death uh, but uh but i've been able to take some of those things i learned in those books and, and then turn around and, and use them uh, and trying to raise my kids and it's really worked in it uh, and and doing those things in the same way that you form a bond with a dog I've been able to form a really good bond or even closer with my kids because instead of you know a lot of times we like to think is do what I say when I say how I say but a lot of times 
if you don't really explain why, or if there's they don't feel like there's a benefit, it, it's not they're not going to really. Yeah. Get so it. what you're so, what you're talking so, about is, and this goes back to listening to the Jocko stuff. What you're talking about is leadership, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter yeah. if you're leading. Uh, in my situation, a group of 275 airmen at work, or if you're leading a dog through uh, the foundations of obedience training and retriever training, or if you're leading a five-year-old kid through kindergarten, it's all the same. The, the concepts right. are translatable, uh, and you hit the nail on the head with the why. You know, so it, it doesn't matter what you're working with, who you're working with. If you can show them the why of, hey, if you put these steps in and you do this work, this is what you'll be able to achieve. And it doesn't matter if you're teaching ABCs or uh, lining memories with a dog or if I'm trying to get all these airmen at work to uh, read their tech data so they don't get a, a quality assurance fail. You know, if you teach them the why, they're going to you know, be more uh, likely to listen to what you're telling them and, and why you want them to do those things. And that it's, it's translatable across the board. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, that's, that's what a hundred percent, that's one of the reasons why I love the Jocko podcast and, and several others is they just take, everyday principles and they break them down and things that a lot of times it's not like they're reinventing the no. wheel it's like i knew that it but was. why didn't i think of it's that like, you know it's, it's just like dave ramsey <laughs> dave ramsey will teach you how to you know be a millionaire when you're 60 years old guaranteed if you follow the steps he tells you to and and he right. self-admittedly is, a, you know, a dirt dumb country boy from East Tennessee. And, he, you know, he'll be the first one to yeah. tell you, you know, this this isn't this isn't rocket science. This is the stuff your grandma did, you know, 60, 70, 80 years ago. And it worked for them. Like if you'll if you'll just if you'll just practice it, it'll work for you uh, just like it has everybody else. You know, it's not it's not knowledge it's it's behavior it's discipline you know and right. lord knows i struggle with with discipline in in in, in every facet <laughs> of life just like everybody else but you know i think the more you the more you take the time to think about those things you you listen to stuff talking about it you read about you read about things talking about it 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 gets you in that mindset and when you're in that mindset then you're better prepared to act on it and um, and think about it from that standpoint, and it just you know makes you a better person all around. Right, right. I definitely know what you mean. I definitely know what you mean. You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is uh, okay. I I'm from Mobile, Mississippi, up in the northeast corner, so close to Iuco, Pickwick Lake. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not far yeah. from Pitwick at all. Um, we are about, let me see, 35 minutes from Tupelo. Uh, we're between Tupelo and Corinth. Uh, and uh, uh, or that's that's where we're living. And But being from Mississippi, like, I know a lot of people down uh, the state and a lot of people are kind of, they don't really, they don't really, Mississippi doesn't give enough 
or get enough credit for for some mm-hmm. of the things that they produced. Uh, some of the people, uh, fam- there's a there's a ton yep. of famous people all the way from from singers to the NFL to to writers. Um, uh, just it, it it doesn't matter the, the the area of expertise, but there's just a lot of fantastic successful people um, uh, that come from Mississippi. Um, but we, we still, and don't get me wrong, there's, there's right. definitely some negative things, but, but I love living and being from Mississippi. And I wanted to, to try to get some people on who are, who are from here. Uh, even if you don't like, like now you live in Kansas, yep. but you're from Grenada and, uh, uh, that's where you were born and raised. And, uh, just following you through social media, um, uh, you live a fascinating <laughs> life, and it's very interesting to me. I, I think, anyways, it, you know, anybody that's got got dogs and hunts and uh, in the military, and thank you for your service. I want to, I, uh, I do want to thank you for your service uh, for the country or to the country uh, with your um, being in the military. Yep. Yeah, the Air I appreciate Force. the support. Um, my dad awesome. was in the Air Force, and uh, he. Uh, he, he really, really wanted me whenever I got out of high school and I started thinking about the possibility of joining the military. He pushed me towards the Air Force and I should have. I didn't join any branch. And that's honestly, that's one of my biggest regrets in, in, in life It's never, never joining and never serving. Um, but I do appreciate and want to honor all those who do. And we, I do thank you for your service. Um, but, you know, like the from a social media aspect of it, like. I think you're a really cool guy. Right. This is the first time we've ever outside talked. Of, of, you know, this is the first right. conversation we've ever had. Uh, outside of a few comments from here and there from uh, um, no, I was fixing to say Snapchat, yep. that's not right. Uh, Instagram. Um, uh, so basically, what I did whenever mm-hmm. I joined the HP group, and you know, you can go and you can see where people are, right. tell people where you're from. You know, you just put your name underneath the state. I just went and added everybody mm-hmm. that was originally from Mississippi. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and that's how I, I became friends with you on Facebook and then Instagram and been following ever since. And um, then whenever I had this idea of, of highlighting people or businesses from, uh, from Mississippi uh, or in Mississippi, I thought I really, especially with you, uh, with the new right. venture that you're set out on uh, and feel free yep. to talk about that at any time. Uh, and you can start where you want to, but I really, um, uh, you were one of the first well, people that I came to mind, you thinking of me. uh, <laughs> as odd as that sounds, but, but well, yeah. so, so, so wherever you want I'll to go start, back to what we you said a second ago, So it's really funny. You mentioned about, you know, professional athletes and singers and famous people and the contributions that Mississippi has made to, to, uh, you know, society, whether, whether it be through the arts or, or industry or whatever. So my dad grew up in Drew, Mississippi and graduated high school with Archie Manning. Uh, so uh, wow. you know, that just goes back to, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That, <laughs> that, that goes back to uh, exactly what you're saying. And that's one of my, this whole uh, virus thing. That's one of my like biggest being upset with anything right now is they cancel baseball season and or and old and old miss was like 16 and oh. one or 17 and one when they canceled it so 
I know, and they had the most home yeah, runs they were, of any they were, team. They were doing really well. They were doing really well. So, but I, I did see that they gave eligibility to those guys that that are missing the season. So, hopefully, hopefully we can turn around and yeah, and uh, and you know, go back to what was going. So, talking about Mississippi. So, uh, I grew up and I was actually I was born in Greenwood, um, and then my, both my parents are from the Delta, uh, Rubel and Drew, Mississippi, uh, and then. Mm-hmm. Five years old, uh, they moved over to the hills to Grenada, um, and my you know my, my mom was a nurse there at the hospital, and my dad uh, delivered propane gas. Which, if you ever are trying to find hunting land, being a propane gas truck driver is a huge way to do that because you, <laughs> you're you're talking to every farmer and landowner out in the country. Uh, right. So we had we had tons of places to hunt when I was growing up. Uh, and we didn't waterfowl hunt a whole lot. We uh, we bow hunted. We deer hunted. Um, yeah. And my dad had my dad had waterfowl hunted some when he was when he was younger in the Delta and had a couple bad experiences going going underwater, stepping off in a hole in a in a bio somewhere or break. And uh, he kind of he had kind of given it up. Now he does still go out with my my younger brother some there uh, on the boat. That way right. he doesn't have to, that way he doesn't have to get down in the water, but. So yeah, grew up grew up in Grenada from the time I was five till fifteen, uh, and then we moved to Winona. My dad was working in Winona at the time, and I had gotten cut from the baseball team there, in Grenada, because it was you know I think it was a five A school at the time, uh, and I just wasn't competitive, and I'd been playing baseball my entire life. So uh, moved to Winona, went to a smaller school, played baseball there for a couple years. Uh, and my dad was in the army in Vietnam. Um, okay. And then I have a, an older brother that lives in uh, in uh, Hernando uh, now that is in the Mississippi uh, National Guard, who's in the army as well. And so we'd had a conversation time and time again about you know maybe joining the military and things like that. And I'd had kind of had a fascination with planes since I was you know a little kid. Uh, because my older brother did too, and I thought you know everything he did was cool. So right. when it when that time came and I got to thinking about doing this and everything, um, my dad, and my brother both told me they were like, "Hey, if you if you do join the military and you do whatever you want, they my dad was always extremely supportive of of what I wanted to do or be or anything else." And he said, "You know, if you do join the military, you ought to look at the Air Force. Every everywhere I ever went, they had." the best bases, the best food, uh, the best housing, all that kind of stuff. So that's what my dad always said. Yep, <laughs> that they yep. were pretty much like the, the pretty boys military. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, there's definitely some perks to it. So, um, so I called the air force recruiter who at that time was in Greenville and, uh, he, he ran my ass vabs course or whatever. And he's like, all right, here's a printout of all the jobs you can do. And another lesson that my dad gave me, growing up was if you're going to do something in the military do something that translates to a career afterwards you know get get some skills that you can use afterwards because he was a he was a combat infantryman um and um you know not to say he didn't learn some skills that that helped him later on in life but unless you want to be in law enforcement or something like that uh, you know, being a combat infantryman in, in Vietnam doesn't 
doesn't stack your resume for a lot of stuff when you leave and come right, back home. Right. So he told me, <clears throat> he told me early on, you know, go do something that you're going to be able to use even after you get out of the military. So I, uh, I decided I wanted to do electronics on heavy aircraft because, uh, you know, I knew that would, that would relate to if I wanted to come home and go to work for FedEx or somebody like that, you know, I'd, I'd have mm-hmm. some, some skills to be able to do that. And I said, well, you know, I'll go in for six years and then I'll, I'll get out and I'll come back home. And I uh, went in for six years and, you know, about year five, they offered me a whole bunch of money, well, a whole bunch of money to a 22-year-old kid to, <laughs> to re-enlist. And, and uh, so I did. And I, I was in Shreveport, Louisiana then. And uh, I was in when 9-11 happened. Uh, I deployed 10 days afterwards and uh, went uh, over to a little island out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And we flew missions into Afghanistan every day uh, for wow. for months. And I and I didn't. I launched the aircraft to go do that uh, and worked on them and stuff like that. So that kind of, you know, that had a pretty profound effect on me early on in my military career because I, I really saw what we were talking about a while ago, that why. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I knew every day when I got up and I went to work, why I was doing what I was doing, you know, that, that, that work we were doing was, was saving people on the ground, uh, our, our guys, uh, and making a, you know, making a profound impact, uh, in the world at the time when, you know, nine 11 was the, the, the most pivotal event in our lifetime, you know? Right. So, that was that was two years into being in the air force and uh sorry got a little emotional (laughs) thinking thinking back about that kind of stuff but uh sure so yeah i re-enlisted and then uh got married my wife is from louisiana and uh kind of got to thinking man i've been here for seven or eight years and i i've gone some places but I, i haven't seen that much uh Join the Air Force to see the world, and I've been to Texas and Louisiana and Mississippi. And uh, she, you know, she kind of encouraged me. She's like, "Why don't you put in for some orders to maybe go to a different base or go overseas or something like that?" So I did. I put in for uh, Australia was my number one choice because you know, man's got to have dreams. Um, sure. And then I put in for. Germany, England, Spain, Italy, uh, and then I'd been to Guam several times. I put in for Guam and I put in for uh, Hawaii uh, in that order. And I got three days later, I had orders to Hawaii, uh, the Hickam Air Force Base. Not a bad gig. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, well, you know, babe, we're moving to Hawaii. And, uh, and we did in 2007. Uh, we, my daughter at the time was four or five months old, went to, Charleston, South Carolina, for six weeks for a school to learn how to work on C-17 aircraft. And September, we we moved to Hawaii and uh, got there. And I learned like real quick that I kind of made a mistake. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> I got I, I got to Oahu where where Hickam Air Force Base is. It actually joins up to the Honolulu International Airport. And got in the car and we went downtown. And I was like, man. This is a long way from 
Mississippi or Louisiana. <laughs> wasn't yeah. wasn't hardly any woods. You know, you got a million people on a little island. Uh, but you know, we were there. We made the best of it. Um, my wife and daughter, who would probably leave me to go back there right now, wouldn't even would <laughs> if they could take a backpack. That'd be all they they'd need. They they would, they would go back so that's it, huh? right now. Oh. Uh, Got a really, really cool opportunity while I was there um, to be a flying crew chief on a what's called a DV aircraft or a distinguished visitor kind of military lingo for VIP. Um, so we were flying around um, military leaders, we'll say, and and, he, and, okay. and even civilian leaders as well uh, from time to time. The guys that were in Washington, D.C. doing the same thing I was. We're doing that more than me, but yeah. Uh, so got a really cool opportunity to travel all over the place when I was in Hawaii, uh, and Best and I always talk about that because that changed me uh, from a from a guy that grew up in Mississippi, where uh, we're not that culturally diverse. Let me put it that way. Right. Uh, you know, uh, and, and not to say there's anything wrong with that. We we celebrate the cultures we have there, and and have some extremely, you know, valuable culture uh, to to lean on, especially when it comes to music and food and hospitality and you know things like that. Right. Things that I've I've kept with me my entire life, but uh, but we just don't we didn't have a lot of diversity, and uh, right, you know. <laughs> I didn't understand the world outside of, you know, the Southern United States. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, and then, so when I got to do that job, I'd done a little bit of traveling before then, obviously, but not a lot. <clears throat> and I got to go see places that I never, ever, ever in my life would have imagined that I'd get to go. Uh, you know, I, I went to places like Kathmandu, Nepal, uh, mm. um, Christchurch, New Zealand, uh, Delhi, India, uh, you know, just Jakarta, Indonesia, uh, and then not to mention the, the Tokyos and the Seoul Koreas and, and places like that. Some real bucket list places. Yeah, I got to see a lot of things, man. And and the cool thing was is, um, you know, I was E5 nothing in the Air Force, but we usually stayed at the same hotels or wherever with the, with the, the, the delegations that we were taking somewhere, um, so that we had crew integrity, you know, something happened, we were all in the same place and we could, we could load up and get out of there quickly, things like that. But man, you talk about it opened my eyes. I, you know, I saw all these cultures around the world and, and food, food was the way I could connect with anybody because, I, oh yeah, that sounds fantastic. You know, <laughs> now you're speaking yeah, to you know, on a deeper I, you, level. <laughs> you, if you go somewhere and you, the, the first thing you got to do is find something in common with people. And if you go somewhere yeah. and you love their food, you find the food they love. You'll you'll have an appreciation and an understanding of them right away. And that's what I did because I like I like right. food. And you know, so the first mm -hmm. time I'd ever had Thai food, I was in Bangkok, Thailand. And the first time I'd ever had Indian food, I was in Delhi, India. And, you know, and it, and, it, wow. and it gave me a real quick appreciation for those places because you sit down, you know, and get food with somebody and you, you get to know them. And right. That's a very intimate yep, thing. It, it never fails. Uh, so 
that was kind of that was kind of what I would always lean on when I'd go to one of these places I'd never been for. I said, man, let's go let's go find the food. I don't want to go to, you know, I don't care if they got a McDonald's down the road. Let's go let's go find the mom and pop hole in the wall, sawdust on the floor restaurant, you know, and and that's what we right the one that's been in business for yeah years. yeah the one that only the locals eat at most of the time you know you had mm-hmm. you had to go you had to go search for them but so I did that and I, I don't know how many countries I visited a couple dozen probably. Uh, so did that and and really enjoyed that. I, I I don't want to do it again. I'm not a traveler now. I'm a I'm a homebody. But uh, right, right, I got that yep, out of your system. I did. Now. I sure did. <laughs> uh, and Hawaii was cool for that too because it's like a real diverse melting pot of of different cultures from especially all over Asia, but then you know the other other places as well like uh, Spain and Portugal and and cuba and you know just places you wouldn't really think about and again food you know I, if i if i miss anything about hawaii it's the food um so oh i can imagine having some like true hawaiian yep, barbecue. hawaiian barbecue was good uh vietnamese food i got this really huge appreciation for and when funny enough when we moved from hawaii uh, i wanted to go somewhere in the midwest because uh I told you I grew up bow hunting and I wanted to go, I wanted to go somewhere in the Midwest so that I could, you know, kill big deer with a bow. And, uh, on my list, when I looked at the, the vacancies, you know, um, Illinois was on there, Omaha, Nebraska was on there. And then, uh, Wichita, Kansas was on there. And I, but I put them, I put them on my list in that order. And, uh, then I looked at the Manning documents to see who had what, what manpower and i was went home that afternoon i told my wife i was like we're going to kansas uh my rank and and career field was like at 60 percent manning here in kansas so i knew right away where i'd, I'd get picked up for and sure sure enough we yeah. moved here in 2012 june of 2012 we uh we shipped my wife's honda accord because the military would only pay to ship one vehicle uh, and we had two paid-off vehicles, so I didn't want to give that up. I had a, I had F-150, and then my wife had a Honda Accord, and I was like, "Well, I tell you what, we'll do. We'll, we'll let the Air Force pay to ship my truck, the heavier, more expensive one, to Dallas, uh, and then we'll just pay out of pocket to ship the car." Uh, and Long Beach, California, was the the cheapest place to do that. So we, we shipped the car to Long Beach, California, and then we flew there and we picked it up. And uh, we got in the car, me and my wife and my daughter at the time was five, uh, and she had pretty much grown up her whole life on the island. And we drove from from L.A. to Wichita, Kansas, and we had like four days to do it in. So we took our time, and we saw some sites. We stopped in Vegas and spent the night one night, and we went to Grand Junction, Colorado, and then Denver, and then, and then on into Wichita. So it was super cool. Uh, and then we got to Kansas, and... Like I said, I you know I, I was I was all about that bow hunt. I was man, I'm gonna I'm gonna go bow hunt me some big old Kansas bucks, and just happened yeah. to get a, a generated email from a Ducks Unlimited guy named David Widger, um, who was uh, just by happenstance in charge of the school that I was at when I first got here, and it was in it was an invitation to come out to a Ducks Unlimited event, and I, I knew who he was, and people had even told me when I was still in Hawaii that had been stationed there before they were like, Hey, you need to go talk to this David Widger guy. He hunts all the time. And, uh, so when I got that email, I knew that was a chance to go talk to him. And I was like, Hey man, I got an email from you. 
and he's like, oh, okay, cool. You Are you a DU member? And I was like, yeah, you know, the military has a way that you can set up payroll to charity organizations. And, uh, and I had done okay. that for DU since I came in when I was 17. And, uh, so I was a DU member, but I didn't, I didn't do anything. Uh, I didn't go to any events or volunteer or anything like that. But so I got that email and I told him, I was like, Hey, I got an email from me. And he asked me if I was a DU guy. And I said, well, you know, I'm a member, but I, I hadn't done anything with it. He's like, well, we got a sporting clay shoot. Won't you come out and come out and help me out with it, volunteer. I was like, heck yeah, man, I'll, you know, I'll come out. And I did that and got to talking to him more. And I was like, hey, tell me about this. I'm not going to say the name of it. So tell me about this public hunting place down here. I've been looking at it on the map. And he said, oh, man, there ain't, there ain't nothing down there. It's just a ton of hunters, kind of tongue-in-cheek type. And I said, hey, listen, check it out. I ain't, I ain't trying to come down there and shoot your ducks. I said, I want to go down there and bow hunt. And he said, well, I bow hunt down there, too. <laughs> Yeah, no, but it just so happened his his number one hunting buddy was deployed that that year, and um, oh, okay, so you just kind of yeah, right yeah. So I slid right into that spot, and he he kind of took me under his wing, and he showed me where to hunt, and uh, he he asked me to come out and teal hunt, and I I had never gone on just a a teal hunt, um, and I didn't even have a shotgun here yet. I hadn't gone and gotten a new one yet. Cause I sold all my hunt stuff when I moved to Hawaii and uh, I was like, well, okay, I'm not going to be a teal hunt. Well, next time I went home to Mississippi, my brother gave me his old 870. I brought it back up here with me and we started bow hunting and I ended up, I didn't, I didn't kill anything with my bow, bow that year, but saw some cool stuff, saw a bunch of bucks fighting and chasing does and grunting. And I was like, man, this, this bow hunting in Kansas is where it's at. This was all on public land. And then waterfowl yeah. season rolled around, and uh, he the way he did it, and a lot of people do, they'll hunt till the rut's over here. They'll deer hunt till the rut's over, and then they'll waterfowl hunt after the rut. So the rut ended, and waterfowl season kicked in. He's like, all right, well, come on, let's go duck hunting. Started duck hunting with him, and he still makes fun of me to this very day because the first duck I ever shot here was a spinny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey that's the original green well, i hate them but uh <laughs> but that's, that's that's a different that's a different story but yeah it, we were sitting on the, we were sitting on this little marsh and uh, we had had a green head a, a single green head come by and gave us a real good look and i didn't i didn't shoot and this is the first time i'd ever duck hunted with him and man, that duck flies off and he's just the king of giving somebody a hard time he's like i can't believe you didn't shoot that freaking green head. I was like, David, I'm a guest with you. I was waiting on you to call the shot. Like, I'm not just going to jump up and take a shot. He's like, that gum green head in the decoy, shoot it. So he gets out of there well, five <laughs> minutes later. Uh, uh, he and Spoony just comes in and gives it up, and I didn't wait. I jumped up and I shot that sucker. And uh, so he still, he still to this day gives me a hard time. Oh, yeah, you'll shoot that Spoony, but you won't shoot that green head. So that kind of that kind of got it started because so we walked in on public land, um, with a bag of decoys on our back and a blind bag in our hand and a shotgun, and you know as well as I do in Mississippi, it's usually a pretty gear intensive uh, waterfowl hunt. You know, you probably need a boat, yeah, or a or a side by side, and a lease is really expensive. Uh, if if you, if you are gonna hunt mm-hmm. on public land, you you just about always need a boat. And you're gonna have to be there at midnight to get in line, 
to launch the boat. And, I, and I'd done that growing up with, with some friends and, and an uncle and stuff like that. But when I got here and I went duck hunting with him, um, and all I had, you know, I needed 18 decoys on my back and a, and a blind bag and a gun. And I was like, man, this is what I've been looking for. Because uh, I duck hunted, right. I duck hunted when I was in Louisiana. Some too, we had twenty thousand acres on base uh, that we could hunt. And I went out there and I had some success, a lot of gadwall and wood ducks and stuff like that. But rather, pretty successful from the from comparatively speaking. And uh, really, you know, and, and I and I love duck hunting. I always did. I just just didn't have the opportunity to do it as much as I liked. And then when I when I learned that I could duck hunt here you know, without spending tens of thousands of dollars. And, you know, I didn't need a, I didn't need a $10,000 boat with a, with a mud buddy on it. And, and you know, all that kind of stuff. I was like, Oh, well, this, this is it right here. And I started, and I started duck hunting yeah. like any time, every time I could possibly do it. I'd, I'd be out there duck hunting sometimes, sometimes by myself, sometimes, <laughs> you know, with somebody else, but I'd be out there on that public land. And I, you know, and I, had some good days out there hunting uh public land but it's the same same here as it is anywhere else you know there's groups all around you and everybody's calling and about the time you get the birds in in gun range somebody shoots on the other side of the marsh and you know it it, 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 it is what it is but i you know i i was lucky i took a lot of weekdays off and i'd go out there and i'd i'd, I'd have some success and i'd learn a lot you know uh, and then one day I was out there and I had a friend in town uh, that didn't have waiters with him. And actually a guy from Mississippi that had moved up here that I, that took me duck hunting at, at the scatters at mile Mason when I was growing up, he was up here and uh, he didn't have waiters with him. So we were, we were on the marsh and we were kind of limited where we could go. Cause all he had was knee boots and there was a group behind me and I, I walked over to that group and I told him, I was like, Hey guys, I normally wouldn't set up this close to you. Uh, but my buddy doesn't have waders, so we're kind of limited where we can go. And guys were like, okay, man, it's, it's cool. You know, we won't shoot birds off of y'all, vice versa. So no big deal. So we hunted. And after after the hunt was over, that one of the guys from that group walked over there, and he introduced himself. And he's like, hey, man, I'm I'm uh, off next week for holiday. If you're off too, won't we, won't we meet up out here and we'll start hunting and, or we'll hunt that day? I said, shoot, yeah, man. So I met up with this guy and, you know, here we are seven years later and we hunt together just about every weekend and he does DU stuff with me and everything else. Uh, and it was just, from, yeah, it was just from being cool. courteous and going over there and saying, Hey, you know, I'm kind of limited where I can go. I, I, I apologize for being this close to you. Um, and <clears throat> he was, he was from the area. He's from here originally. And uh, so that was a big part. He showed me, you know, he has, he had some family land. Uh, nearby and that was his first season duck hunting really doing any kind of hunting well i've been hunting my whole life so i knew i knew a lot about hunting he knew a lot about the local area so we kind of teamed up and you know started hunting together and um then i probably did that how oh, two or three more seasons of just bouncing around on on public land and uh and hp did an episode one time about how to get permission on, on private property and, you know, yeah. they talked about the app mm -hmm. you use and to make a little, like a, you know, a little biography page uh, about yourself to put in a mailbox or this or that or the other. So 
I downloaded I downloaded a an app on my phone that showed me landowner information and and man I hit the road and I started knocking on doors and uh, you know I I'd go up to somebody's house and just say hey do you let anybody waterfowl hunt out here and I'd say probably ninety percent of the time I'd I'd get oh well my grandson does or we lease it out or my nephew does or we got somebody whatever nobody was ever a jerk to me. They would just, you know, they, they, yeah. for one reason or another, I wasn't able to. And then I finally started getting yeses. And and I was like, oh, man, okay, well, this is how you do this. And I started getting access to these little cattle ponds. That's another thing about hunting up here that's way different than, than there. Um, you know, in the south, there's water everywhere. So, so I mean, you yeah. can be on the prettiest <laughs> slough you know in the county but there's there's 17 others within five miles of you so you never know where the birds are going to go you know and uh here there wasn't a lot of water um you know and uh, i'd learned this with david the little bit of private land hunt i done with him like you could go sit in a cow pasture pond and shoot a four-man limited ducks and some geese and that was just foreign to me, you know, and that was another thing about Kansas. I was like, wow, this is, you know, I didn't realize this existed, you know. And uh, so <laughs> right, right. did that for a while. And then, then we, you know, teamed up, me and my buddy and a couple other buddies, and we all kind of started spreading out and, and asking permission. And, you know, fast forward two or three years later, and now we've got 20, 30 spots between all of us where we can rotate and uh, hunt and stuff like that and that exactly, right, that exactly. so and that's what and we do we don't try to hunt we try not to ever hunt a spot more than once a week um so you know then i got a little bit better at it you know because i got to know a few of the landowners in a in a particular area so now when i pull up somebody's house i can say oh hey Johnny Smith down the road over here lets me hunt on his place, and I was out there a couple weekends ago, and I no- noticed you had a bunch of geese going into this field over here. You know, I was just wondering if you let anybody shoot geese out there. And of course, the landowner would say, well, if, if Johnny's let you come out there, yeah, I think you'd probably be all right. Just, you know, shoot me a text or give me a call. And that was when, yeah. it, that, was when that clicked because it's just like anything else in life. It's all about relationships. And Right, every it's time. not what you know, but who you and, know. And uh, so when that happened and I started getting to know some of these landowners, uh, you know, they would even go so far as to say, hey, you know, I was out feeding cows last week and on the neighbor's pond over there, I saw just, you know, four or 5,000 geese. And I, I just wanted to let you know. Well, I said, okay, who owns it? Oh, well, he's, he's my neighbor <laughs> and, you know, my cousin's married to him. You want me to give him a call for you? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Are you talking about cancer? Exactly. Or are you talking about exactly. <laughs> but you know, and then it's, it's you get a little momentum going with that, you know, and and you you, you try, you know, not yeah. say you never tick a landowner off because you, you ha- accidents happen and your buddy gets stuck in their field or you know. Sure. Things happen sometimes, but you try to you try to do the right thing. You you try to leave the place better than you found it, and and most people appreciate that, you know. And, and it seemed to work out, and 
you know, just keep keep building on those things. You know, you get those you get those ten spots, and and this summer I'll I'll go out and I'll try to pick up ten more. You know, and because you never know you never know when somebody's going to sell their land right. or pass away or something like that. You're going to lose a spot or two every year for one reason or another. So you kind of always you always have to keep it working. But yeah, over over time I got to where I enjoyed that process of of that. Uh, just as much as I do hunt, like it's a game on its own. Uh, I got well, kind of got a rule at right. my house. If I take my son with me, I can go anywhere I want and I can do anything I want. And I'll never hear, I'll never hear a crossword <laughs> about it. So you better believe, you know, I get off work. I go to work early in the morning. I usually get in between five, five thirty, but I leave early too. I leave, you know, between three and four. So I get home, throw my son in the truck. We hit the road. A pair of binoculars and some Casey's pizza and you know and we go look for birds and access and stuff like that and man that's that's kind of kind of part of the game there uh, yeah and having a kid so, uh, I don't care uh, what anybody says <laughs> if, they, yeah. if they see that family yeah, so relationship full that disclosure happens. here I, I use every tool in my chest okay so a lot of times when I go look out and I'm looking for permission, I don't change out of my uniform from getting off work. Uh, you know, I'll keep my uniform on, right. keep my uniform on, throw my kid Smart in the truck move. with me, and we hit the dirt roads. And, you know, a guy in uniform walks up to a house, and it kind of puts them at ease right away. They're like, okay, well, you know, at least I know he's not, you know, a knucklehead. Uh, you know, into stuff that he probably shouldn't be sure. and stuff like that. And then, oh, and he's got his son with him, you know. And so it, it puts people at ease right off the bat. And and a lot of times it's an icebreaker too. Oh, you're in the Air Force? My, you know, my son's in the Air Force and my, my brother was or so on. So, so it, it, gives some, it gives people something to relate to as soon as you get out of the truck. So did that for a while and then kind of, kind of started having some, you know, pretty consistent, good hunts. And, and then people kind of started to ask to come out hunting with me, um, you know, whether from like the HP group or, you know, people that I've been stationed with in, over the years in different places and stuff like that. And really kind of started two seasons ago, kind of focusing on getting, getting other people out. Um, and two years ago, uh, Parish Major, who uh, owns SOK East and P and J Farms, and is is who I look to as mm-hmm. as a dog trainer. If I have a question, I I, I would loosely say I, I I consider him a mentor. You know, I value I value his opinion more than anybody else right. when it comes to that kind of stuff. And he had he and another friend had come out and hunted with me two years ago, and we were we were sitting in a blind one day, and Jonas was there with us, funny enough, and. He's like, man, you need to. Parish is retired Navy as well, and uh, he's like, you need to do what you want to do and and guide hunts in the fall and winter and train dogs in the spring and summer. And I'd been thinking about that for years. I mean, going back six, seven years, how I could, you know, how I could make a living doing this, you know, because it's, it's 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 all I think about. It's all I do. Right. 365 days a year i'm either scouting getting access training dogs running du events or duck hunting and uh you know but it didn't seem feasible right it's not it's not 
it's not the the plan you know it's not the it's not the way normal people do it do things you know i knew i knew i was going to retire from the air force the next couple right. of years i hit 20 years uh in in 2019 beginning of 2019 so i knew my time in the air force was coming up at some point you know and i i was almost done with my degree i'd been working on that um on the side you know and finishing finishing my degree in organizational management which is what i do at work and i and i love it uh so i was like well you know i, I can go to one of these aviation manufacturing companies here locally and I can get a pretty good job running a, you know, a shop or a department or something like that. I can make good money at it and man, it'd be great. And I got the more I got thinking about it after Paris told me that I said, you know, I don't, I don't want to go to work a nine to five job. Like that don't, doesn't sound fun to me. I don't want to go work for somebody else. I'm, I want to, I want to do my own thing. And, and I kept going back to what Paris told mm-hmm. me. I kept, I just, I couldn't get it out of my head. I, all I could think about was him saying, you know, you take guys out hunting in the fall and they see your dogs and then you, you train their dogs for them next year or you, or, uh, or, or somebody sees your dogs and they decide they want to come hunting with you. And he's one thing feeds the other. And, and, and then you got your military retirement and you know, your insurance and, and your your kids' college is paid for, and I was like, God dang, man, I'm gonna train dogs and take people hunting. And you know, about <laughs> about a year yeah. ago, you know, that's kind of when I I made my mind up. I was like, man, I can do this, and I I put the numbers down on paper. Okay, what what can I make off of running hunts for three three months out of the year? How much can I can I make enough off of that without without charging people? through the roof because you know i'm a middle class blue collar guy like i want i want those guys to be able to afford to come hunt you know so what can i make off of can i is there a way to make how much is it going to cost me and i I did that and i was like okay well that's you know that's more than i make now in three months uh okay well that's three months what am i going to do the other nine months okay so what can i do you can't train i mean you can train dogs here in the winter time but you a better man than me if you do uh, but i knew you know i knew right, march right. through august september time frame i could train dogs and i i reached out to parish and i uh i reached out to uh guys all around the country that i knew that trained dogs and you know, and to their credit man like that that world and matt neal is another one like i bet you if i called him up right now and started asking him questions he'd tell me anything i needed to know there's no bad blood there there's no animosity uh people are super helpful even when they know you know to some degree you're going to be a competitor um and and those guys told me you know they told me hey this is what we charge this is this is how we do it this is what it costs me a month to feed dogs and, you know, I wrote all that stuff down and I was like, okay, how many dogs do I need to train? How many months do I need to train? How much can I make off of that? How many hours of the day is it going to take? You know, am I going to be able to do this and still be able to go to my daughter's choir performance? You know, things like, cause that stuff's important to me. You know, I didn't, I, everything's about, right, about right. a balance, you know, sure. You can, you can be a wealthy person but what did it cost you to get there you know and if it if it cost me not being able to coach my boys 
baseball team or whatever it is, you know, it wouldn't be worth it. Uh, but I, but when I did all that, it was there. I mean, it absolutely. Was, I'm not gonna say, you know, you're not gonna be buying a yacht anytime soon. Um, but you could, you could make a living at it. And, and the more I got to think about, it, I was like, man, right. I'd be stupid not to try this and not to try to make a living doing what I already love and what I already put so much time and energy into. And you know, going back to Dave Ramsey and. He, he does all that stuff with entrepreneurs and, and leadership and all that kind of stuff. And I listen to that all the time. I'm like, man, this is, this is what I need to do. I need to do, I need to, I need to find my why, you know, what, what, what will I get up at five o'clock in the morning for sure. and go do even when I don't have to, you know, what do I, you know, when it's June, That's July and it's hundred degrees here in Kansas. You know, Saturday morning, I'll still be up at 5.30 loading dogs up to take them out and get them, get them training, you know, as soon as the sun's coming up so that I can, I can get some work in with the dogs before it gets too hot. And, you know. Yeah. And even when there's a pandemic and you have to have social distancing. I tell you what, and that's been, that's been a huge, my wife and I were talking about that last night. That has been a huge realization for me. Uh, with this stuff going on, you know what? My life hasn't changed that much. Uh, outside of my my Air Force job, I'm seven on seven wow. off right now. Uh, but but day to day, my life ain't that different. I, I go scout turkeys with my son. I take him turkey hunting. I took some clients turkey hunting last week, and I go train dogs every day because the things the things that I love to do don't require being around yeah. a bunch of people. Uh, yeah, it's saying that's polar opposite. Like with right. me being a sales rep, and I travel all over, uh, like the very northern tip of Alabama, all of Tennessee, and then you know parts of the Carolinas and Virginia. Uh, I can go, I can go into all of them. Tennessee and Arkansas right. are my, my main two states that I that I sales rep in. Yeah, but oops. like, I haven't been on the road. Right. I hadn't been out of town in five or six weeks because whenever all this stuff started coming, whenever all this started coming about and it started uh, being an issue, like stores, retail stores from a, from an early time were like, oh, we right. people people are you know they felt the effects of it first, and and there was no reason for me to get out and, and waste time right. and gas and everything that I could do from that point I could do from emails and phone calls, so you know. I hadn't been, I hadn't been in a hotel room, or I haven't been and uh, seen any of my new or uh, existing right. clients yeah. in probably five to six weeks, and uh, I mean it's right, yeah. And, and no, honestly, I, I'm going I, circle. I, I just could understand me crazy. it because if I didn't, <laughs> you know, if I didn't have turkey hunting and I didn't have dog training and and fishing and stuff like that. i'd be i'd be in the same boat now luckily most of most of what i can what i need to do for for start my own business i'm you know sitting on my phone or at a computer in the basement like i am right now to do that kind of stuff but yeah no i i i could imagine because it's it's been even work-wise for us has been turmoil because you know our everyday and that's one thing about the air force when you talk about like our bases being better and things like that. A lot of people don't, they don't grasp the concept that we 
operate globally from our home station. So from from Wichita, Kansas, we're putting right. airplanes and people into the fight on a daily basis uh, without being in the Middle East or without being deployed somewhere. Like we, we have real world missions on a daily basis. So we still have those responsibilities that we have to that we have to cover all while trying to, you know, mitigate risk of having too many people around each other and, you know, too close to each other and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's been a, that's been a challenge for us at work as well. Right. Right. But. Mm-hmm. Whenever you were talking about the dog training world, it really blew my mind because, you know, right. in most things in life, everything is a competition. And whenever I first, whenever I first started, you know, reaching out to people to help me train my dog and stuff like that. Um, there, there's a young guy that, uh, that I knew from growing up, we went to the same church together or he was really young, but I went, his, his parents and I, I've known this family for years and he worked with a local kennel, mm-hmm. uh, shepherd kennels here in, in Northeast Mississippi. And, um, I, I reached out to him. And I was like, you know, I don't, I'm at a point I've got all the basic right. obedience I don't know where to go. Like I know right. what I want to achieve. You don't know the next step. But I don't know where to go. I yep. don't. I don't know the order of operation of what's next. Yes, and uh, he said, "Okay, yeah. Like, do you have a place where we can train? Maybe with some water and some stuff like that." I said, "Yeah, I got one of my buddies. They got a pond. They've already gave, given me permission, um, and we can go out there and train." He said, "Hey, yeah. look, why yep. don't you meet me there about six o'clock on a Tuesday?" And then we, we started working together. Uh, and then I went to their kennel. They had like a training day. And then uh, I thought it was just going to be like clients only. But there yeah. was probably three or four other kennels uh, that, that train dogs yep. full time for a living. And it's like a, it's yep. a big network, just like just like everybody's a buddy. And they even noticed that with. Yep. Uh, like I've seen Matt Neal give people advice yep. and even talk about a Mississippi native in Barton Ramsey. You know, uh, he's given a, a ton well, of advice. You think and, about, and, um, you think and, about Barton and that the uh, other summit that they do. Uh, go ahead. That's not that's not just for people that own SOK dogs. Yeah. That's, you know, anybody's welcome to come out there and and uh, and train with them, or you know, hang out for the summit, or you know, those types of things. Most of those people in that world are. I mean, they're they're just hospitable. Um, you know right and i think that they realize that right there's, a, well, there's enough pieces here's of the, the pie for everybody exactly you know, one guy can only train you so can't many train dogs. everybody's dog and because of a dog's lifespan a guy's gonna need a new dog every few years um so it's a it's a rotation there it's just like yeah. uh evan oswald with gypsum creek retrievers is here in kansas and you know, he knows what I'm doing and he, you know, I'm right down the road from him and he's still always been just as helpful. Uh, you know, we, we talk, there's another guy, Cody Collage that lives out in Western Kansas that trains dogs and, and guides hunts, super helpful, you know, always willing to, always willing to talk to me about something or give me advice or, or anything, you know, because, because there is, there, there is enough business for everybody. Um, to, to some extent, I'm, I mean, I'm sure it, just like anything else, it, it could become watered down, but you know, the, the 
it doesn't take long for people sure. to figure out who's serious about something and who's piddling, you know. And and you know most of those guys, I I, I there's not a single guy in the dog training world that I talk to on a regular basis that I think is a is a bad guy or it doesn't have the time to to chat about something or or whatever. Like it's it's just been a it's been a community that's pretty helpful. And not to say that there aren't some disagreements on training techniques or type of dogs or you know that happens. It happens all the time. But sure. Right. Yeah. There's yeah. always yeah. the 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 discussion yep. of method of training, whether you're positive yep. or whether you're you know uh, reinforced <laughs> with an e collar yep. or yep. if it's American Lab versus British Lab, and you know the, the list goes on. And there's always the debates, but at the end of the day, it really just seems like everybody's just for, for the I would say the vast the vast majority of it. I would say that is the case because you know at the end of the day, we're all trying to get to the same point, and and some of us may go a different path of getting there uh, but there's there's enough room for for all the different ideas out there and, and you know it's 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 for the most part it's a super super beneficial community that helps each other out and, and is willing to work together and stuff like that so i've been i mean i, I i've been helped by tons of people you know and it, it's never been never been animosity there or or anything like that that i can that i can see on a on a regular basis you know so right uh, you you mentioned you know every several years somebody's going to need uh a, need a new dog or, or a, new, a dog trained that's something i've been kind of been trying to find maybe the, the sweet spot i guess my lab yep. she is uh she's sick how much does she and weigh i okay you know so she's you just right never where know. she needs to be healthy she's around 50 like pounds because yeah yeah i don't try to overfeed right. them because i know that that's a big problem with a lot of them joint issues and everything else well and, and lack of exercise like, i mean the same really it's same problem we have um <laughs> But too 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 much food on the plate, not moving enough, you know. Yeah. So, very but true. I don't know. Kind of the way I think about it is, is you, you like you're now you're at that right. spot, like you're you're getting in that window because, you know, most dogs it seems about you know they're gonna, you know, you see guys run dogs to the twelve thirteen years old. It, it happens, uh, but eight that eight to ten year old range seems to be the spot where you know they're gonna start losing a step. Oh, and then by the time they're over 10 now, you know, and there's, and there's exceptions to every rule. So I don't want somebody to hear this go, well, my dog was killing it at 10 years old. Oh, uh, but just looking at the averages on it, you know, that 10 year old mark is about <laughs> right. where they are really going to start slowing down. That's where they're going to, you know, struggle on those big swims or that super deep mud or whatever, you know. Um, so like to me, when, you, you know, if you're a guy that right. always wants to have a hunt dog, and always want to have a dog that you can take out six years old is where I'm going to look at getting another dog because at six years old, you're going to get your, your next puppy and you're going to say you need two years to have that next puppy, you know, show enough ready to jam. And so, and now your older dog is going to be eight and, and you're sure. covered when, when your older dog hits that window, 
because you you know right you know that hunt uh you you know those hunts where you're gonna go out and you're hunting that flooded rice field and it's just nasty and and you know man that older dog whose joints are slowing down or, mm-hmm. or whatever you're like man she's gonna struggle in this hunt because it's just a bad one well you got this two-year-old over here that's that's raring to go you know maybe maybe the older dog sits out on this one and you take you take your young dog for for those tough hunts now if you're sitting over a you're sitting over a little little clean slough that's you know a little oxbow off of off of a river somewhere and it's easy retrieves 25 30 yards on clean water well shoot yeah and get that eight-year-old dog back out there for that you know but i think i, th- I think that i think having your next dog ready when your older right, dog right. is eight is is where it's at now i'm i'm in a different mindset than that altogether because i always want to have another dog ready no matter what because you never know when you're gonna tear a pad or you know bust a nail or you know get a get a nick from a piece of ice or something like that and i always i always want to have that other dog ready to go oh so right right oh yeah especially you know having a guidance service right uh and stuff like that you you really can't afford to not have uh a dog ready and you really can't afford to not have a dog who's um not able to go on a hunt with you because you've got clients yeah Yeah, definitely well you've got these things going there's wear and tear when you start looking into that stuff because you you know i I hunt a lot now for a guy that you know has a a real job um and you know i'll I'll take a week off you know for for christmas time and you know i may hunt six days that week you know i may hunt three days take a day off hunt three days and you know depending on the weather and the conditions and and the hunting environment stuff like that like even that can grind down a dog uh, so having that now we're we're extremely lucky in our group because we have to like decide who's yeah. not taking a dog that day <laughs> because so many all of my hunt buddies all have dogs so like oh, we, yeah. We, yeah. We, we have to look at it and go okay well your dog hunted the last two times and your dog hunted the last two times so or or and i have to be the one that does that a lot of times but okay, well, my dog's hunted the last three hunts oh uh, so if you want to bring you know, if you two want to bring your dogs this time, you know, I'll leave my dog in the kennel. And, you know, we now next year when when it's more right. guiding and less hunting with my buddies, that'll be a different scenario. And I'll have, you know, I'll have to rely on, on just my dogs more. Uh, and I've got two now. Uh, I've got, well, so technically I have three. I have a seven-year-old. Oh, so six and a half, how many you had? Is... In a training environment, I would put him up against any dog that's ever been trained by an amateur because I, I, there's no other word to describe what I was when I started training him seven years ago. Oh, he wasn't the first dog I ever trained, but he was the first one I ever trained start to finish. And um, and uh, he's a fantastic dog when in, in a training environment. Right. He is not a good dog in the duck blind oh he whines whimpers um when birds are working stuff like that it's just 
and I've and I've done every every trick in the book that you can think of to try to try to help that to steady him up to make him quiet things like that and it's it it ain't there it's genetics it, it's it's and I I hunted around his mom and she was she was vocal and and things like that too but he was he was kind of kind of fell into my lap and I couldn't say no to a type deal so but yeah right See that was a that's a thing with mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I have my, got my wife. Oh, my wife drinks black tea every Her day. name is Cha, <laughs> like the tea. I didn't mm-hmm. name her. I got her when she was about two years or a year and a half. Oh, that's yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, well, now whenever you see her drinking chai tea, you can think of my little lady. Um, but uh, I got her when she was right almost two years old, and mm-hmm. she'd already had some some training. But she came down from Southern Duck Dogs in Macon, um, so. I, I didn't pick her out from a puppy or anything like that. Um, but she, she's very well pedigreed. Matter of fact, she's got like nice. a, a, um, a, a hall of fame dog on both sides of her lineage. And she, she's, she is very well pedigreed, but there's still something that now I don't know how, how, how the parent dogs were. Um, but she, she, yeah, she, she whimpers and whines a lot, mm-hmm. especially like if I'm training with a bunch of people and she's not getting to do the marks and stuff like that. She's right. just chomping at be. the bits. Her, her front two paws, yep. it, it's like she's just running in place. She wants to go after me and she, yes, she whimpers and she whines and she cries. And, and you know, not getting her from a puppy uh, or, or knowing anything about right. all that, like – she was too far gone by the time I realized all of those things, because even the, the training to get her where, where I wanted her and everything like that, I trained right. and worked with her for a long time before it, she was ever around another dog. And then yeah. whenever I had her around another dog, I was but she's just, driving me up the just, wall. This is annoying. I yeah. love my dog, but this is just really aggravating. <laughs> yes. And to the point to where like, it, if I'm hunting, my core group of like my my closest friends. There's only one yeah. other guy that's got a dog, and he's got he's got a stud of a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. Um, like I'm talking about a just uh, just a great meat dog, and uh, but he he's about the same age as Cha, and he's well he might be a, a year older. He's six or seven, so he's got some right. he's got some age on him, um, which he's not overweight. He's very well taken care of and everything like that too but it's you know it, it's at some point um oh yeah you know there's gonna have to be a, another dog that's introduced and, and but a lot of times you know if we're going if if the group of us is going and there's gonna be another dog i won't take her just because of the whining and complaining and if i'm doing a solo hunt or for me and a, one or two buddies um that that know her um i'll I'll take her but if if there's another dog that's capable a lot of times i I, and it it breaks my heart because she she even at six years old man she's got a drive she wants to retrieve she wants to march she wants to work like uh if right now uh, if i grabbed a duck call and i walked to the front of my house and she's in the fence in the back and i blew the duck call she's coming around to the gate she wants to know she wants to know what's going on and 
you know, it's just, uh, it, it's heartbreaking because I, there was so much that I didn't know or, or things that I didn't know to look for that whenever I do get a puppy, um, uh, uh it, it won't be based. Now, don't get me wrong. My dream, this is my dream dog. Um, either yeah. whatever you want to call it, fox red or dark yellow from Southern Oak. I, I, I want a fox red male from Southern Oak. And, um, uh, uh, for whatever reason, I just, I, I, I like their, uh, every story that I've heard of their dogs is, yeah. is they're just incredible dogs. They're, they're, they're great. Um, both in the house and in the field. And, <laughs> uh, now that doesn't mean that that'll be my next yeah. dog, but that's kind of like, as well, of have, now, I have that's, one that's of those. Kinda, that's my dream. <laughs> I, that's, that's it, what I want. It, um, I've even had a name picked out. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> so you, you can, uh, you can, uh, give testimony to that, but it, I, um, that's, that has been a goal for a while, but I just, I've, I've wondered when, when would be the best time yeah. to get one. Well, you got, and, you got some time. I mean, and I may push it back till maybe even next year. Um, yeah, which she, we, Last year, in all honesty, I didn't even get out, and I didn't even, uh, I didn't even hunt last year. Uh, right. There was just a, a whirlwind of things that just it wasn't, it didn't let it happen. And I was new with my job and and doing the traveling and stuff like that, and just Priorities trying to dictated trying otherwise. to balance it, find the balance mm-hmm. for everything. Um, I, I yes, right. yes, as bad as I wanted to get out, I just there's times I just couldn't justify it. You know, um, so so I, I just uh, I didn't get to get out. Now this year, I've already got invites well, that, from people from uh, from Arkansas. I've got invites from people from Tennessee and back here at home in Mississippi. <laughs> uh, hey, and I, and I that's awesome. I appreciate that too. And so I, I plan on, well, plan and with, on with that with that stuff, to make you know, up with that dog and and, some, and some just being one hundred percent honest, that and, if you've got uh, a dog that's like that and they're Oh, man, two years old. Like it, it's it's over at that point. You might as well just accept what you have and and, <laughs> let, and and do exactly what you're doing. You know, if it's just a hunt where you it's you and her, and you know it's yeah. going to be you know less stressful and and things like that. You can get out there and and you and her can enjoy a hunt. Then you take advantage of those every chance you get, and 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 it is what it is because you know one. I believe that most of that is genetic. When when I say most of it, I mean like ninety percent of it. Uh, and then two, you can train some of that yeah. out. You know, in the way that uh, you know you're doing denials and you're doing honor work with other dogs, and and you amp training up as much as you can. That's one thing we do a lot of times in the summertime. We build hunting scenarios. Like we'll have three or four guys out there. We'll have our our blinds up we'll uh we'll have guns we'll have calls we'll have decoys like it is a hunting scenario outside of ducks circling and we thaw birds out we use real birds uh so so outside of birds circling it is a hunting scenario uh and and that's another that's another thing you can do to kind of you know make that the norm so that so that when hunting season rolls around your dog's not you know just just outside of themselves with excitement uh you know those are things you can do but you can't 
beat nature. And if and if and if that whining and and hyperness and stuff like that, if that's in their nature, I mean, it is what it is, and you can you can limit it and you can train around it and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, nature's always going to win, and that's you know that's why picking picking those litters, you know, not the puppy, but picking those litters, you know, is so important because you know you're 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 stacking the odds right. in your favor the best you can. It's just like going to the casino and playing a hand of blackjack. You know, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're hitting on 16, you're asking for trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, you got to stack the odds as best you can. And the only way you can do that is to, right. to look at those pedigrees, look at those parents, you know, and, and see what characteristics they have that you, that you think, or, or what you're looking for in a dog, you know, what I'm looking for in a dog and what you're looking for in a dog may not be the same thing. You know, I know, I know dog that'll run through a brick wall. Well, I, I'm not right. quite there. I, I like, you know, my dogs live inside and, 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 you know, I like them to be a little bit more mellow and that's how my three-year-old female is. Um, she's an SOK dog. She was actually given to me, um, by SOK and some other people that kind of got her for yeah kind of got her for me as a as a military appreciation type thing oh wow and um and that happened at the SOK summit um be three years ago this September and uh, oh yeah it was it was absolutely amazing uh so I was you know outside of kids the best thing I've ever gotten uh but and and that's how she's she's chilled man she's a princess she's she she lays down prim and proper um like everything she does is etiquette um that's just how she is and outside of shedding pearly white hair everywhere she's about the best best dog you could ever ask for in the house now when we get out hunting she's not (laughs) a fire breather she she hunts and works for one reason alone and that's to please me oh that's just that's just how she is now the red dog is out of out of sok as well and uh mike searle and i went in together and got him uh when he his litter fell through on something and there you know i don't know if it was i don't remember now if it was because more pups were born that were male or vice versa or however that panned out i don't remember but that opportunity came up i think me and mike were calling each other at the exact same time and uh and we went in together and got that dog and now he is the epitome of fire breathing like he will go no matter what uh and and that's just who he is and that's that's his dna and i love it because yeah you know he's he's the dog he's 10 months old now and he's the dog that you know i'm gonna really rely on for those icy hunts or you know thick deep mud you know that kind of stuff like where i need a dog that'll just push right oh uh, because that's that's what he's that's his dna he's he's out of sok's uh, mm-hmm. red and you know he's 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 all go but he 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 doesn't quite have the the off switch yeah. that you would normally associate with a with a british dog uh but he's not as hyper and 
just out of his wits like my seven-year-old American dog is either. So he's kind of that. He's he's kind of that that happy median um, to where right, you know right. he, he like I got to be a little more forceful with him training him. You know I got to be I got to I got to them them nose are a little louder. You know. Um, yeah, like with my female, I I look at her a certain way. Yeah, she yeah a little more. She stern. knows. Oh, okay, that wasn't right. Oh, uh, that that doesn't work with him. <laughs> so you know, it, it's it's, <laughs> it's it's genetics. It's it's picking out the litter. But, I mean, <laughs> excuse me. Oh, uh, that was. I mean, that was exactly what we were looking for out of that dog because Mike has a has a female SOK dog and and she's pretty driven now don't don't get me wrong uh, she's but she's small um and we wanted a dog that was a little a little beefier and and we got it with this one and he's and he's that that dark deep red um mm-hmm. color so he's he's a looker as well so <laughs> yeah, yeah i don't know oh, what yeah. it is about it man you know, don't get me wrong. I, I just want, love the way a lab looks uh, in general. Uh, but yeah, something yeah. when if I'm scrolling and I and I come across their eye catching uh, that deep red, I, and I, I've I'm always like, been partial to yellows. Just, uh, just beautiful. And then once you know, just beautiful. Not so much uh, me, but my wife and my daughter started taking pictures of dogs. Then I really learned how partial to yellows I was because black dogs are just super hard to get a decent picture of unless the light's just right. At, at least for at least for my limited skill set, um, and then you know a yellow dog, and then now the red dogs are they're 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 super right, right. I mean, just easy easy to get pictures of. But yeah, this one, I'm excited. So he was he's ten months old now, and I'm I'm kind of a I'm a big advocate for right. not hunting dogs that first year. Uh, if you you know you know if there's any way that you can avoid it, and you know you can wait till a dog is at least 10 12 14 months old to get them out hunting that first time where they've matured enough to be able to emotionally like handle everything that's going on i think that goes a long way in in mitigating some of those whining and 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 uh unsteadiness like i think that helps a lot and so he so he didn't hunt last year oh I, there's pictures of him carrying birds so if anybody sees it yeah uh there were plenty of hunts where he stayed in the kennel in the back of the truck and then after the hunt was over i'd go get him out and we'd toss him some birds out in the pond but he did not get intro to gunfire until just a couple weeks ago so he didn't <laughs> hunt last year oh um, yeah so yeah um, you know, and I, he, I've got okay. some high hopes gotcha, for this gotcha. little dude because I didn't, although I wanted to, um, I wanted to train him more just, but with, with time being the way it is, right. Like I wasn't able to really do much with him during hunting season. Well, hunting season for me goes from the first Saturday in September through Valentine's day. So I five, five, five and a half months between early teal season into early okay. duck season then our main duck season and then we have a late goose season that runs through mid-february so we hunt for a long time and so his training didn't really kick off until march 1st and here we are mid-april 
and he is just yeah. crushing it. Like, uh, it. Yeah, it's mind blowing how fast he's picking up on stuff. I mean, he's basically really. You know, we I mean, we did simple obedience and things like that before before hunting season and and through hunting season, but um, but what he's been able to pick up on with the the actual fundamentals of gun dog work with the speed that he has in the last six weeks is just on. I mean, he's, he's, I'm hesitant to say that uh, he's running a certain level or anything like that because it's not always there, but you know, he's, he's well ahead of where I would have expected him to be six weeks in because he just, he's got that drive and that's all he, 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 he will work until you make him stop. So, Mm -hmm. You can when you have a dog like that that it has good pedigree has has right, right. the the genes stacked in their favor already and and you get that kind of work ethic out of them you can do a lot with that. <laughs> so. Right, right, and see that's uh, with the the work ethic. That's how, that's how my chai is. Like she, if you've got a bumper or if you've got a, a dead bird or something like that, she will mark and retreat yeah, all yeah. day. She like she will be worn out. She just loves it. She lives for it. But it, it and I and I wanted to. I even reached out to uh, to Barton about maybe right. um, trying to stud one of his with her because I wanted a puppy from her because I I do love her so much. I wanted a puppy yeah. from her with wow. all those characteristics. And then I'm just sitting there. But but the one I I just I that's the biggest thing. And I you know I just don't. Yep. So I'll probably just try to get one. Probably just try to get one outright. Yep. Let her live a good, comfortable rest of uh, uh, rest of her life, and not have to worry about having um, a litter of puppies. Well, um, that's in where, her older that's years where you got to separate like the emotion her, from the from the and, and be, from the logic too, because dog. you know that's your baby and you love her, and and as you should, you know our dogs, your <laughs> yeah. family members too, and but. When you think about it from a logical standpoint, do you really want a puppy that's going to whine and it's going to, you know, do those things? And, and, you know, that's when you say, well, maybe it's not the right call to breed her. We just, we just love on her till she's, you know, 12, 14 years old and give her a good life. And, and that's how our, that's how our seven year old is. I mean, he's my yeah. wife's baby. Uh, he, he's, mm-hmm. he snuggles with her. He, he, is is by far her baby mm-hmm. and she fusses at me when i don't take him hunting or when i don't take him out working um because you know she she's the same way she that she's i'm just not doing right by not taking him out <laughs> that ain't it ain't right it ain't right but but no we, and he, he does <laughs> it's just not fair <laughs> but I, and i took him hunting three or four times this year i took him took him on a couple of them hunts when I knew I was going to need him where we were on like real big water and the wind was blowing real bad and we had ice and stuff like that. Cause I know like I might have to tie him off to a tree 30 yards behind us. But yeah. by God, when I cut him loose, he's going to go. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of what, that's kind of what I feel like once we get another lab and, uh, and he gets into that space and 
and I'm trying to teach him to honor another dog's retrieve and stuff like that. I'll probably right. take him or those two where it's just me or yeah. maybe, maybe my, uh, my boys or, uh, maybe a close friend where it's not a lot of yep. people in a small spot and, and it'd be more of a training scenario for him. Whenever, right for dove season this year, I didn't carry a gun. The only hunt I went on, uh, yeah. I, I took my wife, I, uh, she she got bit hard by the bug dove season uh several years ago opening day um uh it was we had a we had a bang out hunt she killed her first bird on her first hunt and from that point she's like oh uh if i'm able i'm going so you know i had her and i had my two oldest boys and um uh, I had a stepson in my first marriage and he's a little, he's about three years older than my oldest boy. Um, yeah. so, and he went with us too, uh, on the hunt. So I was just, right. I kind of had them in front of me and I was like risk management, uh, which we are gun safety, gun safety, right. gun safety. Um, uh, I only let them have one shell in at a time though, where there's no repeat accidental fires. There's, uh, but I sat right behind them. I watched the dog and I watched, uh, the kids and, and, and my wife, and we did all of that, and it was uh, it, it was a good time. Yeah. Oh but yeah. Then at the same time, like I, I was really, really wanting to pull the trigger, <laughs> but um, but a lot of times uh, to to yeah. ensure that the safety of everybody, especially well, the dog, you know, there's um, there's a lot to be enjoyed from that aspect too. You, you know, so just to, that's kind of the and, I, and I'm a shooter. Like I I, I want to be the guy that shoots, and that was kind of that was one of those things that I I, I kind of used this year hunting season as a test run um, mm-hmm. to see one if I if I if I had what I what I thought it took to to guide. To, to consistently put guys on birds worthy of their hard-earned money, you know. And then two, could I take a back seat? You know, could I be the guy that, that you know, I always have my gun, but could I be the guy that, that stayed on the bucket on those singles and pairs and, and let the other guys in the blind shoot mm-hmm. and stuff like that? And, you know, once I, once I got to doing it, I was like, wow. This is actually just as enjoyable because, you know, you, man, you get, you get guys, you get guys out here. And I, and I had some guys come in from North Alabama, uh, well, North Alabama right. and South Tennessee, Chattanooga and, and Tuscaloosa. And, uh, they got up here and they had never done anything like that before. They had never, you know, they had never shot a six man limit of greenheads. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we killed, we killed a four man limit of greenheads in, in 30 minutes one morning and they were just, you know, they, the, right. you could just, you could tell, man, they were just, just smiling ear to ear. And I kind of, wow. kind of learned, I kind of learned right away, you know, I was like, yeah, I, I can, I can, I can take Absolutely. that backseat. I can watch these guys do this. And I can be the one that, I can be the one that, that gets them this experience. They, they probably <laughs> never gotten before, may not ever get again, you know, and, and appreciate that just as much had i you know been the one pulling the trigger the whole time too you know and it it was it was enjoyable it is enjoyable i i, I kind of learned to appreciate that just as much yeah. as as shooting or hunting myself but yeah it's definitely is there's definitely an aspect to that that's just as just as enjoyable as if you were the one putting 
putting a hunt together for yourself because you, you get those and, and turkey hunting has always been my thing with that too that's my that's my like gateway drug for Absolutely. people because you, t- you, t- <laughs> you take somebody out in the springtime when the weather's nice and the, the birds are chirping and the flowers are blooming. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then you get a gobbler yelling at them over there on the next hill. And, uh, and, and you know, it doesn't take much for somebody to go, oh, yeah, this is this is fun. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, turkey hunting is, is kind of my. I haven't bought a deer tag in four years. Yeah, you talk about adrenaline. <laughs> My goodness. Between waterfowling and dog training and turkey hunting, that's that's kind of taking the, the the primary role. And I got <laughs> my son was six last year. He got a turkey. He actually got the biggest one out of all of us. Uh, and then my daughter was my daughter was eleven, and she got one last year. I hadn't gotten either one of them one this year yet, so I got I got to get on the ball. Nice. But the weather's been a little goofy, so. Yeah, this 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 whole well, yeah. year, I it's don't know been how fairly it's been dry Kansas, here lately, but, it but it's been it's been a, a yo-yo of weather. Every like so, we'll get rained. you know we'll get three or four days in the sixties and seventies and sunny and pretty, and then boom, twenty-eight degrees. I'm like all right, here we go. And so it's kind of kept the birds thrown out of whack. It's like right oh, about yeah. the time the birds will really get hot and heavy, and they'll get in a good routine. Boom, you'll get a you'll get a cold front, and it, and it, and it like completely changes up their rhythm so a little bit a little bit of struggle trying to i've i've put the six-year-old on a shot we did a stock on one uh using the using the fan decoy you know and uh we got we got within 20 yards on Mm -hmm. it we got we we set up about 60 yards from it and we caught him within 20 yards of us uh but we were laying down in some like thick brush and stuff like that and it just wasn't a high probability shot for a for a little fella, so we didn't call it. But so we've 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 had some some chances, uh, but for him, I try to I try to wait on the slam dunk. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he yeah, shoots a, he shoots a huge model, uh, eight seventy and twenty gauge, and for for somebody that only weighs sixty pounds, it's got a little thump to it. So I, I want I want that shot to count. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, no, right, uh, right. You don't want any waste of effort right. because if they if they get right, and we, missed, we, that's we're a real very big we're real cheesy with this shot. So, <laughs> but we got we got some more time off, and there's yeah. plenty of birds around. So get them out, get them out some more. Sure, sure. Well, Mr. Wade, if somebody was wanting to book a hunt, so where I'm could they Facebook find you? Or how could they I don't contact even have you? a website created yet. I've in the process of it. I've been working on it. But if they want to get in touch with me, they can either just go to my personal page. I'm the only Wade Skeen on Facebook, or they can go to our business page, Skeen Gun Dogs mm-hmm. and Outfitters, on Facebook, and then the same on Instagram. And man, I've got I've got the phone on me all the time. Just shoot me a message and. I'll, I'll give them the lowdown on on lodging and price and dates and and all that deal. We're we're it's uh, it's a full service deal we're doing. Uh, we we've, we've come across some lodging that is just top notch, uh, much much better than what I thought we'd be able to do our first year. And then uh, food is provided. We got we got some pretty good cooks around that are gonna lay down some good grub because. 
you know anybody going on a hunting trip wants to eat good while they're while they're doing it and we want to we want we want we want guys That's to right. enjoy the time when they're not in yeah, the blind yeah. just as much as they do uh when they are in the blind and we're only doing um a limited amount i'm not going to put a number on it because it, it it can change but we're not we're not we're not the the guys that are doing uh back-to-back groups we are we're only going to run mostly for the most part one group a week uh so that's just three days hunt uh to come out and then uh we're keeping groups small uh so we're we're maxing out at six people mm-hmm. uh period because the ultimate goal i'm not gonna say it, it it'll never happen uh, but the goal is to never mix groups i don't want anybody staying in the lodge with guys that they didn't plan this trip with i want them coming out here i want them coming out here hunting with their buddies so i'm not right. i'm not trying to get 10 12 guys on a hunt uh it's this is not about trying to maximize every dollar that we can get in our pocket we're trying to ensure that people have a good time when they come out here and 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 that they get the service that they deserve whether that's you know from from being able to hunt the, the good spots because we're not burning them out by over hunting groups uh and uh and i don't want them you know not getting the most from me because i'm wore out from that other group w- that we just sent home yesterday you know i want to i want to be able to, i want to be able to give the the best quality to to the guys that are coming out here and ladies we already got some some ladies with some hunts booked too so all they got to do is yeah well and it's gonna be longer than that because the way our the way our seasons are broken down in kansas we have three different zones um so our season technically starts duck season in kansas the first saturday in october now yeah, so but we're not booking hunts until the first yeah. of November, uh, because that in my part of the state, uh, that that part of the season is not consistent enough for me to justify people spending their their money to come out and hunt for. Now some guys are. I'm not going to say that that's the same gotcha. anywhere in Kansas, but but where I am, that's not that's not feasible in my opinion. Uh, so, so November, December, and January, though, we're going right, to be right. rocking it the whole time. So it's going to be 90 days there. And then, uh, we have that, we have that two or three weeks worth of goose season after that. If guys reach out and really want to come out for goose hunts, I will entertain that. I don't, I could take it or leave it. Um, I'm, I, I like shooting geese, but I'm a duck hunter. Oh, uh, <laughs> but uh, and, and we kill plenty of geese. Yeah. But I haven't, I haven't yeah. advertised or tried to sell any goose hunts. But if there are guys that do want to come out in February and and just goose hunt, we can do that as well. But uh, and then I haven't really started doing it yet. But uh, here in the next couple months, we'll start looking at booking dogs for next spring. Um, as far as uh, training packages go. So, you know, once, once hunting season's wrapped up and we've, we've got everybody taken care of there, we're going to roll right into dog training and, and train, um, from March, uh, through September or into September. So, you know, if somebody, if somebody has a, has a puppy now, or they're on a wait list for a puppy that they're going to pick up, you know, this, this fall or something like that, and they 
want to want to go ahead and and get on the books for mm-hmm. dog training for next spring they feel free to get in touch with me and we'll start we'll start walking through that process as well i'll i'll, I'll talk to people about it and see what their timeline looks like and everything so but right now we're focused on hunting man um we've got yeah we've got a few. yeah that's awesome man that's awesome go ahead. Um, oh, i definitely want to have you of course, I, I, me being the luckiest person on earth, I, I announced this and went public with it the day before. the The, the world went crazy, so that, that's definitely <laughs> right. that's definitely put a right, right. put a pause on a lot of stuff. But we're still trying to stay out there and and keep in touch with people because we know there are people that want to come out here and hunt with us. But they, you know, rightfully so, understandably so, are kind of holding holding tight on some things right now uh given given the, the current environment but you know yeah we, we are sure i feel like it, once it's I, all over it'll be like I think a, a so massive too. floodgate I think has so been too. opened I think and everybody will be just over, crazy you know people are going to flood things like this because you know it's just like i told my wife and i told uh, my my regional director with Ducks Unlimited the other day, I said, you know, this is this sucks. And there's a lot of people hurting, and there's a lot of stuff that 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 is negative about this situation. But one positive from it is is teaching us a lot about priorities. Uh, you know, we we we've learned to cut a lot that's of non-essential. Right. You know, that's kind of a buzzword. That, everybody essential you know is 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 the word which is something mm-hmm. we've talked about in the military forever but you know a lot of people are seeing what is and what isn't essential and and i think you know spending that time with their family and and being able to get out and do the things they enjoy those things are probably going to be a lot more important to people on the back side of this yeah i definitely think so uh i know that it's something that me and my buddies for years we've we've never really went on a on a group right. hunt or a guided hunt we, you know we've hunted together locally and stuff like that but never really went well, on i think a, we probably need to change trip. that this year you know, something we've talked about <laughs> for <laughs> yeah exactly well and i i think that that the especially the current situation that we have i think that will change that and and whether it's whether it's a upland or whether it's waterfowl, waterfowl or something like that, we've always talked about doing one. But I think all this has kind of made us think, you know, it's maybe we need to do, maybe we do need to enjoy these things, and maybe we need to put things in, yep. in, in motion and, and yep. put the first foot forward and making this happen. And, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see. But I do think it'll be like we're on one side of the pendulum yeah. and just waiting to be released it's gonna and be a party when it we is, get there too. we're going to reach the other side <laughs> of that pendulum too so well, and, and and you brought up a good point too uh we do offer combo hunts as well um yeah we have the we have the ability to put people on okay. on quail and pheasant hunts uh so if they want to come out and do you know two days of waterfowl and one day of upland or vice versa or even you know do we've got we've got one guy that is bringing his boys out and we're going to do uh you know two waterfowl hunts and two upland hunts for them so we've got we've got yeah we've got i mean we're blessed in kansas to have some, cool. some solid upland hunting as well and and uh i've got a friend that that does he upland hunts like i waterfowl and he's 
he's agreed to help me out running upland hunts with pointers and and things like that so um that that's on the table as well so if if guys would do want to come out and want to get a pheasant hunt in or uh you know combo quail pheasant hunt those types of things we have that available as well so you guys i really uh wish that we had more upland down down south like back in in the older days just because like yeah, I, I go up to Grand Junction, Tennessee from time to time, and we do a lot of custom work, uh, T-shirt printing and, and, and cap embroidery and stuff like that, decals mm-hmm. and magnets for the uh, the Bird Dog Foundation there in Grand Junction. And just seeing all the memorabilia, seeing all the uh, – seeing like, the old pictures, the old guns, the, the, the dogs, the birds that were in the area. I just wish we had that. And my great granddaddy well, so on my dad's side. Funny, used funny to that train you mentioned that. And, 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 and I know we've been um, doing this for almost and, two hours now, so I'll 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 cap I'll cap it off with this because I can sit here and talk all day. But uh, <laughs> right, uh, this kind of where it all started with me. My dad grew up in the Mississippi Delta, and his dad raised upland dogs and trained upland dogs, and they quail hunted. And uh, and growing up, growing up as a kid, that's all I ever heard about was wow. how great those dogs were and how much he loved hunting behind them, and and that's kind of where it all started with me for dogs. And that was it was on the retrieving side because by the time um, I came along, the the quail hunting in Mississippi had really dropped off, and and you know it wasn't wasn't really good anymore. But but I still like think back to sitting around the table with him and my uncle and my and my younger brother listening to them talk about those those quail dogs growing up and 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 getting to hunt behind those dogs and everything and i think i i still kind of attribute my interest and and uh love of of working dogs dogs with a purpose to that 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 very very thing is hearing them talk about those quail dogs right in in mississippi back during the, the 50s and 60s when they were you know busting coveys out of briar patches in the in the in the mississippi delta so yeah uh, i think we, we've got some, we've got some we solid quail numbers around awesome. here so y'all, y'all <laughs> talk with you buddies and see what dates sound good and we'll get you taken care of we'll figure out a time for y'all come, come up here and shoot some ducks and geese and some quail and pheasants and yeah. do it all in the same trip so, Yeah, so Brendan, Brad, <laughs> yep, Jonathan, y'all, y'all Jason, do it. We'll get you taken care of. We'll have a good place to stay. Good food. <laughs> Me too. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Hey, I enjoyed it. Thank you for everything. I want to try to uh, sometime in the future, uh, maybe before, especially before duck season does get ramped up and going, um, talk about um, how active yeah, and involved you are definitely. with Ducks Unlimited and some of the programs that y'all have. Easy. You know, um, and I know we could talk another Easy. two hours about that, but but <laughs> but I do, you know, and that's something else that I do appreciate about what you do in in, in the waterfowl community with Ducks Unlimited and. You know, I, like I said, I do want to have you on again and, and kind of break some of that down and, and talk about that uh, and let people know exactly 
Yeah, that's you know, that's definitely an episode on its own. I think, you know, there's like a lot that. of so, misconceptions um, with DU and where money goes and and what man those heated ponds with the with the corn and them. I those tell heated you, ponds. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, we could we could definitely do an episode on that. I, I'd love to I'd love to do that, and maybe we could even do a do a third caller on that, and I'll get get a DU employee on so that you can get the. You can get the story from from not just the people that volunteer with DU, but the people that work for DU as well. So you can see see exactly how that how that system works. It's yeah, a yeah, yeah it's That'd it's a fantastic. miracle all on its own because you got ninety eight, ninety nine percent of the people involved are volunteers that don't get paid that are doing this in their spare time, and then and then the people that do work for DU are just as fantastic as as anybody you'll ever come across because they're not. They're not getting paid a king's ransom to do this work, and and man, you talk about we're we're over 14 million acres in North America that's been either restored or conserved or or uh, brought back at this mm-hmm. point, and, and that doesn't happen without people that are are passionate about what they're doing. So we'll we'll definitely do an episode on that. Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks, buddy. I'll uh, I'll talk to you soon. And, Sounds great. Uh, hey, I look forward to it already. In the next couple of weeks as well. Yep, you have a good one, bud.